Welcome to Limitless, the blind beginnings podcast where seeing things differently inspires limitless possibilities. This podcast is being brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted, along with their families. Limitless was created in order to inform, educate, entertain, and share stories from within the blind and partially sighted community, in order to show the world that the opportunities for those who are blind or partially sighted are truly limitless. And now, it is my pleasure to introduce you to your host, the executive director and founder of Blind Beginnings, Sean Marcelet. Welcome back to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. I'm your host, Sean Marcelet, and I am very excited for today's episode. We have a really special guest joining us who has some really cool jobs that I'm excited to learn more about. But before I introduce our guest, I'm going to introduce my co-host today, Clement. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Sean. It's great to be back. Yeah. So um, you're kind of excited about today's guest. Do you want to do you want to introduce him? Uh, well, sure. So I've known our guest for, oh, God, how many years is it now? Probably over 10. Over 10, something like that. Uh, and we lost touch for a while, but thankfully, we recently reconnected. And so our guest today is a cool dude by the name <laughs> of Brandon Cole, it. who is among other things, a video games accessibility consultant, a voice actor, and a Sorry. couple of other things. So what did you- what Oh, award-winning. Award-winning. Accessibility, accessibility consultant. consultant. I apologize. That is important. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> and a voice actor and uh, a blind, totally blind, uh, audio described, audio description narrator, uh, and an all around very nice guy. So thanks for coming on the show, Brandon. Well, thank you. I couldn't have done the introduction better myself, except for the award-winning part. <laughs> except for the award-winning part. <laughs> no, it's all good, though. I, I appreciate it. It's good to be here, and uh, I'm excited to talk about this stuff because awesome. this is what I, I... I feel like talking about this stuff is half of my actual job, so okay. it's, good. it's good times. Can you tell us a little bit about your vision? Have you always been blind? Are you totally blind? I, have, I am totally blind and have always been totally blind, at least... I mean, that's that's... Technically, that's the easy answer. Um, from what I understand, I wasn't blind for the first two months of my existence. Okay. <laughs> my, my mother tells me that when I was a very, very tiny, tiny little thing, I focused on her face one time that she mm. remembers. Oh. Um, but unfortunately, I was also born with retinoblastoma, which required the removal of both eyes. Right. So that one focus was the only one. <laughs> and, mm. and here I am, prosthetic eyes and all. Okay. I've uh, heard that people with retinoblastoma have higher than uh, higher than average intelligence. I will accept that. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say that I don't think I've met anybody with retinoblastoma that doesn't. So yeah. We'll go, I, will we'll go just, I will just say, yep, you're right. You know, and if you've got to we'll have right like, if you've got to have a condition it might as well come with some perks right or some sure some yeah pluses. absolutely so i we last week we talked with reese and melissa from descriptive video works all about audio description and we were asking them some questions about the fact that they've hired some blind narrators because the irony of that is just kind of mind-blowing for me sure. um so i wanted to start there because the first time that i kind of 
really figured out who you were was you described, um, you did the audio description for Through My Eyes, the documentary I about sure me. Did. Yeah. It's pretty great. <laughs> so I'd, I just assumed that the guy describing the documentary must be cited because I don't know, I guess, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking like, well, you must be cited if you're describing the, the action yeah. that we blind people cannot see. And yeah. so it was just a mind twist for me. Can you talk about like how that came about and how do you do it? How does it work? So it's actually kind of interesting how this came to be. So uh, the reason that this happened, the reason that I got any work at all as an audio description narrator is uh, kind of a crossover between that and my other job, um, which is working in video games. Um, so what happened was, um, Reese and Melissa heard of me through my work and the people that I follow. And they kind of, you know, paid attention to the work that I was doing um, because Descriptive Video Works is very interested in uh, breaking into the field of video games because, mm -hmm. you know, the, the general the general consensus is that all content should be described or, or that mm -hmm. the blind should have access to all content, no matter what it is. Mm -hmm. yeah. So breaking into video games is part of that. Mm -hmm. Plus, uh, they got... Uh, Descriptive Video Works is owned now by Keyword Studios, who already has their paws in the video game industry anyway. Mm. So they were looking for someone to talk to just about video games. And they found me because I'm already doing this work in this space and I'm a blind person. So they reached out to me um, and we had a discussion just kind of in general, like, you know, what do you think audio description could do in the gaming space? You know, that kind of discussion. And based on that discussion and the fact that I, I will fully admit that I did this. I very subtly hinted <laughs> that, that, uh, you know, I really enjoy audio description and man, I think I have the voice for narrating it. You know, wouldn't it be cool if I could like, wouldn't it be cool uh... if I could narrate some audio description? And so, uh, so I guess that I was telling the truth. And, <laughs> <according> <laughs> to them. and, and uh, so they actually invited me first to, to do a uh, narration for a couple of audio described game trailers that they were doing. Cool. And that was my first foray into narration for audio description. So I did the game trailers for a game called Ubisoft's, uh, Ubisoft's Rainbow Six Extraction. Um, so that is, if you listen to audio description on those uh, trailers, though, that's me. You did a great um, job on that one, by the way. Just saying. Thank you. That I Actually, that I got one, complimented was... on those. I got complimented on those specifically because of how fast they are. Yeah. Um, like very, very specifically because all the trailers for that game are very high action because it is an action game. Mm -hmm. um, and so there is, there's just no break. There's just none. Uh, there's, there's little tiny spaces where there's uh, bits of dialogue to fill out the story, but that's a trailer. And that means it's mostly focused on showing the, the viewer, the, the, the best parts, the action parts of the game. And so there, there's almost no breaks in that trailer. And I had to, I had to really, really nail that thing. But, uh, but yeah, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm glad that you, you liked it. Um, but yeah, it, it really was a crossover of both of, of the things. Well, now, now both of the things, cause it wasn't a thing until, till it happened, mm -hmm. but it really was the, the field of audio description meeting the, the work that I do in games. So okay, yeah, that's how it happened. So how do you actually, I know, I mean, I know because I learned all about it last week that a writer actually <laughs> writes your script for you. Yes. I'm, yes, I'm right. assuming you're a JAWS user. Like, so like yep. talk us through kind of the mechanics of how you actually record the script. 
Yeah, so basically what happens is uh, I get the script usually about a day beforehand because um, it has to go through approvals and things like that. So there's not much time before between when I get the script and when I have to record it. Mm-hmm. And typically what I'll do is I'll read it first to get an idea of what I'm in for, um, you know, how long the lines are, because that does matter, how long the lines are, how fast-paced it is, you know, I'll, I'll get an idea of that first. Then on recording day, uh, during uh, whatever whenever the appropriate time is, I will jump into the, um, there, we, we use an online uh, recording studio uh, site, basically, that connects mm-hmm. you um, via a very high-quality voice system. Like, I'm okay. talking extremely high quality, higher quality than, you know, your discords or your zooms. It's, it's very, very high quality voice system. And we use that to record remotely with a, a sound engineer who is uh, monitoring your recording, making sure your times are correct and, uh, and all that fun stuff. And for my part, what I've typically been doing is I actually have a braille display and I've been using that to read the script as I record it um, because I just find that I connect with uh, the script a lot a lot better if I'm not trying to dictate from a screen reader and what the screen reader is trying to say. Yeah. I do a lot better of a job if I'm reading it in Braille uh, first or or during during the act of recording it. So that's that's my process. And then they they uh, take that giant recording and they cut everything into little tiny pieces. Uh, as long as I've made uh, the appropriate times, so usually there's usually one to three takes per line. I would say. Okay. And um, and then they take the takes they like the best, and they put them together and uh, they actually do this in real time uh, to make sure that the time time timing is correct. Mm-hmm. They will put the, they will put your takes that they like in the, the content in real time and, and see how it sounds. Okay. So I got to hear a little bit of that too. Right. Um, so yeah, it's uh, that's, that's basically it. That's basically the like process. a virtual, like you're in the sound booth with, with your engineer. Yeah, kind of. Virtually. You might as well be. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. you're, you're are, quality, you so. are in the studio. It's just that instead of a physical space, you're sharing it over, the web and a voice connection, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yep. Yeah, that's super cool. Okay, so I have to, this is really funny, but my husband doesn't normally listen to the podcast and I was telling him earlier today that I was going to be talking to this guy who does, you know, accessibility consulting for video games and I'm like, you know, you know, that's kind of a specific audience. And he's like, I'm going to listen to that episode. So I think yes, (laughs) Yes. you finally hooked him. We've got some people that are going to be interested in this. So I'm going to sit back a little bit. I mean, I'll pipe in with some questions, but this is really Clement's forte more than mine. So take it away. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He knows, he knows this very well. I mean, so, uh, you know, obviously, you know, I've, I've kept track with the stuff that you've worked on and, uh, the really kind of prominent announcements that have come out in the last few years, uh, even before that, when you and I had, you know, shared space over a tiny little website where we just uploaded things as roughly as we could. Um, I still have every single one of those, by the way, you still have every one of those, uh, before, before we get into the discussion a bit, uh, I'm going to give credit to Brandon for being the person who introduced me to Rock Band and the fact that it was possible to play it. Uh, yes. So, Sean, the reason I that's had got you hooked cool. on Rock Band yes. is because of this guy. Oh, that's so cool. Um, we all connect. Yes. We all connect. And, and so this is, is it connect with a K or? No, it's not. No. It is okay. definitely not. We don't like that connect. We don't. <laughs> we don't. I agree. Um, but so getting into that, you know, I, I think one thing that 
Brandon, you taught me early on when we first became friends was the fact that it wasn't just all limited to one genre of game we could play. Um, yeah. Because I, I, I was big into fighting games. I still am. Um, but that was mostly Same. because when I was younger, among my family, that was kind of the expected trend for me because obviously being unable to see, you can't run around an open world, so blind ga- uh, fighting games were the easiest to go with. Um, so what, what gave you the incentive to branch out into things like Rock Band and um, other genres outside of kind of the typical fighting game? I think, I think when it comes down to it, it just came from the fact that I grew up uh, just trying games okay. um, because we had, at least to some degree, we had most of the, the consoles at the time I was growing up. We had right. Nintendo, we had Super Nintendo, we had N64, although yeah. the Nintendo and the Super Nintendo were not mine. They were my brother's, but yeah. I stole them anyway. Um, so That but, is uh, a familiar story for me as well. <laughs> sure, sure. But yeah, like I just grew up trying games because, um, you know, I tell the story a lot, but the story of the prank that my brother played on me um, when I was a kid, that uh, spawned in me the desire to beat a game without his help. You have to tell. Um, I, I know what yeah. it is. because I, I, I must I must yeah. tell the story? Okay, yes. I'll tell the story. What did he do? Okay. Wasn't very when nice, was by a, the way. <laughs> when I was a young pup, <laughs> when I was a young pup about six years old, uh, my brother comes up to me. He's much older than me. He's like, he's six years old than me total so he's twice my age at this point um he comes up to me and says hey you want to play mario brothers and at the time i hadn't had my video game awakening yet so my response was basically even as a six-year-old i was like wait but that's a video game yeah. like the word yeah. video is in that how how yeah. can i play that i can't see video and uh i actually don't remember to this day how he actually convinced me to do it um uh, but he did somehow uh so we went into the room where our nintendo was located he hands me a controller, fires up the game, and before you know it, I'm collecting coins, extra lives, I'm saving princesses, I'm, I'm jumping on enemies, I'm breaking bricks, <laughs> I'm defeating bosses, it's amazing, I'm having a real, real revelatory experience. And somehow, somehow, on my very first try, I beat the whole game. The whole game, not just like one level. The whole level. game. The whole oh, game. No, the whole whole game. game. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and then, um. and then, as the really quite good, even for its time, uh, endgame music is playing in Mario Brothers. He reveals the punchline. Punchline was, of course, that he had handed me the very unplugged second player <laughs> controller while he played the entire game. Oh. Uh, so my inputs amounted to nothing. Yeah. <laughs> fatality. So fatality, yes. At that the was time, your I was first time? Drunk. That was your first <laughs> yep. time and you believed that you beat the whole uh, game? Yeah, because okay. I I didn't have any frame frame of reference, you know. Like I didn't yeah. mm-hmm. I didn't know what actually playing a game was like. If that makes any sense, I just didn't <laughs> yes. have any frame of reference. Yeah, that was my first time sure. trying a video game. Sure. Wow. So I really believed uh, right up until he showed me that the controller was unplugged. You must have been so, so upset at the end. Were you upset? I was. I was. I was yeah. very. I was crushed at the time. But yeah. But the thing is, even though I was crushed uh, at that time, I I also wanted you know i also i it didn't you know i learned from that experience i learned that uh if i paid attention i could learn what the sounds were in a video yes, game yes, i could learn what each, yeah. each one of those sounds meant yeah yeah um and so i realized that there was at least some potential here and i wanted to beat a game without his help so i vowed mm-hmm. to do that 
And because I vowed to do that, I started trying other games, even though I would fail at them sometimes yeah. really terribly. Yeah. Uh, I remember that one of the worst ones back in the uh, regular Nintendo days was Robocop. Uh, I think I maybe walked two steps in that game before dying. Uh-huh. Maybe two. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, it's one of the worst <laughs> ones. I did better in Double Dragon than in Robocop. Yeah. But anyway, um, I just kept trying things, uh, regardless of genre. Just I, I wanted to, I wanted to do it. And eventually, in the days of the Super Nintendo, I finally did it. And the first game I beat without my brother's help was, of course, a fighting game, Killer Instinct for Super Nintendo. Yes. Very first game I beat. Yes, that is a classic. Um... But that. It is a classic, 100% a classic. But that's 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 the origin of me branching out. Is that I I always I tried stuff from the very beginning. I tried new stuff all the whole time. Um, the origin of Rock Band probably came from honestly, uh, the idea for me to try Rock Band came from me playing Parappa before Rock Band. Oh, you played Parappa? Um, okay. So okay. so Parappa the Rapper was one of the games that was on those PlayStation demo discs a lot. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, that came with the PlayStation Underground magazine, and we got those. Uh-huh. So, uh, because, you know, I would try anything, I tried Parappa on the demo disc. I tried the demo of Parappa, and I realized that I could play it because I could figure it out. You know, even though you're supposed to play the game by watching the, the you know, the, the notes go across the screen or whatever, yeah. I realized that I could just memorize the whole thing, yeah. and I could win that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, the same logic applies in Rock Band. Yeah. So, and so that that was how I got into Rock Band, and because Rock Band was interesting for me when you I remember when you the first time you told me that the people at a lot of people at harmonics were actual musicians, and so Rock Band was that the patterns the note patterns were based mostly on how to play the actual instruments, which basically made it click for me because I was like, oh okay, I do play guitar and I play drums, which means that this is not too hard for me to grasp. So that was cool because that was my first time branching out into, I'd say my first major attempt at branching out to something that wasn't just your run-of-the-mill fighting game. So my son is just getting into video games. He's eight. And I tried to play Minecraft with him because no, I thought no. like from how he described it, <laughs> I'm just building houses. And I'm like, oh, cool. Like, just tell me how to up arrow and sideways and I'll build something and it'll look cool not so much so can you play minecraft is that <laughs> is no, that what no, accessible no. um so there 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 are accessibility initiatives in minecraft um the developers of minecraft at least the ones that are there now because it is, is owned by microsoft now um they do care about accessibility um there are some things that exist in minecraft for instance minecraft does have narration uh okay. via text-to-speech uh now but what is there is good for some people, but it's not enough for a totally blind person to play it. To play the game, um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's not enough for that, and that's sadly that's the case in in a <clears throat> scary amount of games. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's crazy it's how of... much that happens. Yeah, I mean, and and especially now with accessibility becoming more in the mainstream eye, it is it is yeah. hilarious how much how many games are like ah. Oh, yeah, you have enough accessibility for some things, but you just needed something else that wasn't quite there. I tell you um, what, the one that the one that hurt me the most, I think, was uh, was Spider-Man Miles Morales. Oh yeah, because it is so close. Yeah, it is so achingly, terrifyingly close to be blind, being blind accessible. Yeah, yeah. Because the nav assist, there is a nav assist in that game, and yes. it almost works well. And- and and almost. you know what, <laughs> and you know what, Ghost of Tsushima is actually the same way. Uh, 
at least for the me. The problem I with just... that one, though, is you don't get it right away. <laughs> yes, yes, you have to get through the prologue, and I did get through it, and I have the Navasis now, but it's, like well, you said, good. it's it's there, but it's just not, it's missing that little it's just, something. It's a little, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. are there games you could play with a sighted friend and just they could provide a little bit more verbal description and you and it would be accessible, or is it kind of all or nothing? There, there are, um, there are solutions to those things. Um, so, so I, of course, I try to go all the way, you know, I, I try to advocate for making games accessible in the first place, but for now, yes, solutions like that exist. There's a game that just recently came out called Horizon Forbidden West. Um, it is the sequel to a game. So unfortunately the first game in the series doesn't have this feature, but Horizon Forbidden West has a built-in co-pilot feature where uh, you can take two controllers and assign different functionality to each controller. So you can have the sighted person that's with you could take care of all the movement and walking around this giant world right. that you have to do. Right. And you could take care of the aiming like, and the shooting and the combat. The combat. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. And that's that's a that's a great start. You know, two things that could potentially lead to more. At least this gives us potential to play more games, you know, in in, in more of a capacity than we used to be able to, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean um, that's not even to talk about the stuff that I've worked on plus the stuff that's coming that we've we've heard some things about. There's, there's some that, good things in the, coming up in the future too. And that, and that you're not allowed to talk about, right? <laughs> uh, well, I can I can talk about the, the uh, some things. Like for instance, uh, we just recently got a a big reveal of the accessibility features in God of War, God Ragnarok. Of War Ragnarok. Yes, 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 yes. Um, yes. And that's got to be mentioned, uh, especially because I have received confirmation about this, by the way. Uh-huh. Um, the features that exist for the blind in God of War Ragnarok, of which there appear to be several, okay. um, were directly inspired by... by my work on the last of us two. Okay, well, we'll we'll get to that in a second. Um, I'm sure we will. <laughs> why don't Why don't you? Because I I really want to have that conversation because the last of us two was awesome. Uh, I never I never got to beating it because the story kind of didn't. Gri- I kind of fell off the rails on that one. But the the I I loved it. Uh, the, from gameplay perspective, it was awesome. Yeah, so that's the good. one you got I'm an glad. award for. Is that your that's, award? That's the award-winning one. Yes. Okay. Yes. Nice. Um, but before we get there, why don't you tell us about how your kind of the the web presence started? We already mentioned a little bit about the website. You want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So actually, the website is the origin of everything, uh, essentially, because um, my website became after several years. My website, BrandonCole.net, very original. I know. Um, <laughs> so after several years, uh, for a while, it was mostly uh, a, a lot of silliness. Um, there was some oh. really, really stream of consciousness hilarious. There, there, uh, were, there were funny, but they were very, very childish yes. uh, stories that I wrote uh, that were up there. And it was just me being a weirdo. And then I kind of, I kind of moved from there to um, wanting to provide something for the blind community. So I, um, the, the whole, the goal of the website has transitioned three times. Mm-hmm. The first time, uh, when it, when the site was created, it was just me. It was just me being my weird, crazy self because I do. Have, I've always had a sense of humor. Yeah. It has morphed. It, it has changed into different things over the years, but what? it's always you had been there. What? You a sense there. of humor since when? I know it's crazy. What? I know. But uh, <laughs> I know who to thunk it. Um, so it went from just that uh, into me wanting to provide something for the blind community. So what I yeah. what I turned it into was a place where the blind could find out what games were playable for them. Oh, uh, no, yes. this is this is before the this is before the time when I worked on games. This is just 
what games you could muddle your way through, yeah. even if they're not designed to be accessible to us, here's how you do that. Yeah. And we, we did that, and this is where Clement came in. Um, we did that through providing uh, samples of the blind person playing different games. Um, like videos, and it was, like recording. They were audio, they were actually audio only, audio only okay. samples of gameplay, usually, uh, not always, but usually with commentary added in. So you had some idea of what the blind person was doing to, to work mm. around this game to play it. So that's what my site became uh, for a while. And then it transitioned again uh, into a blog uh, where I started to, to write about games and started writing about my opinions on games and how I felt that games could be made accessible, mm -hmm. how this game or that game could be accessible if only they did this. Mm -hmm. And that is, the, that is the version of the website that got noticed by uh, some people in the industry, including Brian Schmidt, who was part of a panel on mobile accessible gaming. Uh -huh. He then invited me in 2014 to the Game Developers Conference, GDC, mm -hmm. to speak on the panel as the gamer perspective. That's all it was back then. I was mm -hmm. just the gamer. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so I was the gamer perspective on this, this panel about mobile game accessibility. Um, and on that, the, one of the moderators of that panel was Ian Hamilton, who a lot of you in the accessibility community, if you're if you familiar with the accessibility in games community, will know that Ian Hamilton is probably the greatest accessibility advocate of all time mm -hmm. in that he is a huge advocate for every disability type. Yeah. He does a tremendous job. Yes. Uh, he will throw things at developers that they just don't even see coming. Like yeah. he will be like, actually it would benefit you to make your game accessible because yeah. here is a spreadsheet that shows you exactly all the reasons, you know, yeah. he's that kind of guy. Yeah. That's, that's um, super cool. That's super cool. Yeah. So, so that introduced me to him and he liked my presentation enough that he then invited me to be one of the very first speakers at the very first game accessibility conference in 2017. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, and so I, I did a speech there about accessibility and the things that uh, I dreamed about in terms of what, you know, making games accessible and uh, who should be in the audience, but representatives from Naughty Dog. Very cool. There it is. And, there it is. And that is that is literally how it began. Okay. <laughs> so so the, the 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 yeah that that website at least when back in the first couple of stages I I've got I've got fond memories of that website. Um, oh, I know. I know people do. That's why I kept everything from there. Yeah. Uh, and you know, there's I, I you know, I remember you and I did a couple of demos where we were supposed to demonstrate one game and then for some reason it wouldn't work and so we just were like. Okay, well, that game's always not going to be demonstrated. Let's just work on this one instead. Yep, let's um, do another one. Yeah, so you know that that was that was a lot of fun, and I I appreciated being able to do that. Um, <clears throat> I remember we did a I think we did a uh, how to play Mortal Kombat uh, Deception online oh, demonstration. Yes, that was one I, of the, the ones we did you together. You can play Mortal Kombat. Yes. That's oh, accessible? yeah. Okay. Oh it, wow! Not only can you play Mortal Kombat, maybe this is a good time to announce this. I'm actually. Uh, I was in I was in the very first one, but I'm in this this year's uh, upcoming uh, one as well. There is a blind only Mortal Kombat tournament. What? Uh, yeah. Serious? And, uh, I'm, yeah, and I'm <laughs> okay. I'm actually going to be in it. Um, and uh, on on the very first one two years ago, they did the very first one of these, and I was uh, the fifth place uh, person in that That's tournament. Cool. I, I didn't win. I didn't win, but I got fifth place, and I'm okay. Is with this that. an is this <laughs> an online one? Yeah, online uh, Mortal okay. Kombat 11 uh, tournament. Uh, I didn't. I didn't hear. I haven't heard about this one yet. Okay, like how many how many blind people are are registering or participating in something like that? Well, I don't know how many this year, but the very first one had sixteen blind players okay. uh, that participated. Yeah. So, and do you have to be totally blind or blindfolded? No, nope, blind or, or totally blind or low vision is okay. fine. Okay. Huh. So, 
Fun fact, since we're talking about tournaments, I was actually in a tournament uh, last month. Uh, nice. It was a it was a Street Fighter Five tournament in Japan that just happened to be online. So they in, I had a couple of connections. And they invited me. Um, That's great. And that was that was also six. That was six blind players because it was the first time they ever did something like that. They actually went through all the hoops. They got permission from Capcom. They had sponsors. They had, that was that was a lot of fun. So yes, uh, Mortal Kombat, huh. Street Fighter, competitive games are definitely not only can you play them, but it's very very possible to actually have a competitive and fun time. Um, yeah, uh, we know yeah. a. Uh, in fact, one of the people that is organizing this blind Mortal Kombat tournament is a a guy that went to Evo, which is one of the biggest fighting game tournaments in the world. Yes. Um, many many years ago, That's he Carlos, was right? a participant. Yep. He yeah. is one of the organizers of the Mortal Kombat. Okay, uh, cool. the, the tournament, by the way, the tournament is called Sento Showdown, which is perfect because Sento refers to the sword of a blind Mortal the Kombat blind character, character named yes. Kenshi. Yes. yes. So, <laughs> so yes, That's Sento awesome. Showdown is the blind Mortal Kombat tournament, and awesome. uh, he I'm is organizing it. And he he is an, a former Evo competitor from many yeah. years back. That's awesome. Okay, so I just like I would love to know your process for like okay, there's a new game. You sit down, you try to play it, you find out you're stuck. Do you have somebody cited talking you through? Or are you just calling the game makers at that point and saying, hey, this part, I don't know. Like, like how do you make it accessible? It goes, well, okay. So for the most part, and there are exceptions to this rule, but for the most part, you actually don't want to wait until a game is released to make it accessible. Um, ideally, yeah. Uh, accessibility should be something that is considered from the ground up. Yeah. Um, I was lucky enough when I broke into The Last of Us Part Two. I was lucky enough to break in fairly early in their development, so they didn't have too much reworking to do to make this thing accessible. Mm. Um, but if a game is already out and I can't play it, I will still do those things. I'll still reach out to the developers and explain to them what the problems are. Mm -hmm. And I actually make a point to not have a sighted person help me. And I know I know that some some uh, other consultants uh, will get help through the parts they can't they can't finish mm -hmm. but i intentionally i've decided just this is part of my philosophy with this work yeah. is i intentionally don't do that because the the developers need to be aware of the struggles right yeah and if yeah. if if a blind person got help let's say off stream and then streamed themselves playing a game further along than they could have actually gotten on their own yeah that doesn't accurately convey the struggle that we have with it the gives, game that doesn't it's a false impression right Exactly. It yeah. doesn't. It doesn't let the developer know what the barrier was. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, what I do instead is I will take any game, and I've I've gotten enough connections now that that uh, developers do occasionally just give me games to try. Um, I will take any game, and I will do what I call a live accessibility review of that game, mm -hmm. and that will literally be th th those videos can be only twenty minutes long, or they can be four hours long. It, it mm. literally depends on how accessible the game is. Yeah. If, if, if I can't do anything in the game, then it'll be me trying the game and I'll do it live. I do it on the live stream a lot of the time. Mm. Right. So I'll try the game live. And then uh, let's, let's just say I can't do anything at all in it. Like the menu doesn't work. It's you know, not blind friendly, you know, everything. Yeah. Um, we'll, what we'll do then is we'll, we'll stop and we'll, we'll just talk about it. We'll say, okay, here are the things that were good. Maybe the maybe the audio design maybe the menu didn't work very well, but the audio design in the menu was good, and and there were different sound effects for different you know menu areas or something. Mm -hmm. Maybe that was in the good column, you know. So we'll we'll say what was good, 
and then we'll say what needs improvement. And sometimes yeah. it is a lot. Yeah. Um, and then what I'll typically do is after that video is done, if that, that live stream is done, I will contact the developer, uh, usually reaching kind of back channeling through the contact that I got the game from and um, send them the video along with a little write-up of what I think could be done. And I do this knowing that it is very unlikely they will fix this game. Yeah. Right. I do it expecting them and hoping that they will, in fact, you know, learn from that and take it into the next game that they make. Oh, I yeah. love that. So I, I, I really like I like that approach because it, it kind of it resonates with something that I believe, too, is that sometimes when you advocate, I think we expect too many results right away. Yeah, um, yeah, and it, that's that's not just for gaming. You know, you know, you know this. Sean knows this, but like as blind people, when we advocate, I find sometimes we get a little impatient. And when someone doesn't yeah, do what we fair. expect right away, we kind of go, "Man, what is wrong with these yep. people?" Um, but I, I love, I love your philosophy of reaching out anyway, um, whether they do something or not. And sometimes you know that the chances are that they probably won't. But just yep. the very act of reaching out and telling them that, hey, there's actually somebody who's still interested, that itself is something that um, actually also has a lot of value in that. Well, you're yeah, also telling them does. how they can fix it yes. for next yeah. time, right? Yeah, exactly. Like in development. Yeah, yes. I think a little that's bit of, brilliant. A little bit of free consulting and incentive to hire me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Well, because I wanted well, to ask you, how are you making money then if you're just giving this, you know, wisdom so away I, for free? How does that so, work? So I, I do I do make money. I do, I do get paid for this work. And the way that works is if a studio hires me, um, I will work with them directly. Um, I have, I've gone, you know, I've, when I was working on the last of us two, I was flown out to the studio several times. I went oh, to LA cool. to go cool. to the studio. Cool. And while there we would brainstorm about things that, that we maybe should do. Uh, I would test what they had done so far and, you know, leave feedback, you know, just give them direct feedback to every yeah. team, uh, that worked in the studio, yeah. every team that, that was involved in accessibility in any way from UI to gameplay design, to combat, you know, to audio. Mm -hmm. Every team was involved with accessibility design, yeah, and I gave awesome. them all feedback on yeah. on every every part of the game. Okay, and well, so it's I, basically I get paid for the hands-on experiences. Wow, what a cool <laughs> right. job! That's, that's awesome. I I would love that job so much. Um, well, let's let's get into it then because we've been talking about this for a long time. We've been leading up to it, but let's let's talk about the Last of Us Part Two. Let's like, how talk did... about it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it because I I, I want to know because having played it, uh, yep. most of it, I, I really want to know what the process was because there were there were some things that I really liked, and there were a couple of things that I kind of went, ah, oh, that's an interesting decision. Um, well, so I, I I wonder what those things are. Not not because, um, you know, basically just because the the decisions that were made were made very 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 carefully, okay. uh, and. There are still there, and I will fully admit, I'll be the first to tell you, um, The Last of Us 2 is not perfect. Yeah, I'm aware of, of that. Um, but I think the important thing to remember about The Last of Us 2, um, and, and you know, again, every criticism is valid, but I think the important thing to remember about The Last of Us 2 is as good as it was, as good yes. as it is, yes. it is still. Naughty Dog's first ever yes. attempt at blind accessibility. Yes, yes, and you know so what? So it for, only gets for, better from here. It, exactly, <laughs> and you know what? That's that's something I've always loved about your your messaging as well. When you make your content, is you always talk about how yeah, it's not where we want it to be right now, but first steps and small steps are still important ones. Uh, yeah. 
and I, I appreciate it. was still a pretty big step. Yes, but... it was a very, very, very big step. And you know what? For for a first attempt from a studio who'd never done it before, it was fantastic. Yeah. It was fantastic. Of course. Yeah, I agree absolutely. There was it wasn't perfect, but for what it was, you know what? It it's it's pretty hard to beat. You know, but then it, I, then then we talk about then we talk about some of the decisions that were made uh, very carefully. Right. And this is where I like to bring up uh, the invisibility well prone discussion. Okay. Well, t tell us about tell us about the process then of just getting started on what like what was the first build you tested like like was there any accessibility there at all? Um, I actually so that very very specific question is one I can't answer. I can't talk about iterations. Ah. Oh, you can't um, talk about iterations. Okay. Okay. I can I can be. I can talk about features and talk about how they work, but I can't okay. talk about the differences between uh, builds essentially. Oh, okay. Um, because, you know, there's there's a lot of reasons, but the right. biggest one I think is that there are things that, there are things in video games, and this goes for every game, not just Last of Us 2, there are things that don't make the cut. And right. we don't want anyone being like, well, why did why you take this it? out? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Or hating okay. the so, blind community because it wasn't accessible so they took it out uh, yeah i mean <laughs> that would be bad you know it's it's just it's just a lot of stuff like that but okay but sure. the pro right, i can talk about i can talk about the basic process the process yeah. was essentially that i would come to the studio uh -huh. and the first time i came to the studio it was actually just to sell the team i was actually there to sell the entire team on the idea of accessibility to convince mm -hmm. them to do this okay and yeah. I knew I knew in my mind because I because this is this is just about the point where I decided this is what I want my career to be. Mm -hmm. um, I knew that in my mind I was also selling myself to mm -hmm. the team yes. as mm -hmm. the yeah. guy to make this happen. Yeah. Um, so I you know that's that was kind of the first the first entire meeting was just about that. Um, obviously I succeeded, um, <laughs> but but from then on the process was basically I would come to the studio, um, we would talk for a while first. Uh, about what they had done so far. Yeah, I would test the the things that they did. Yeah, um, I would provide my feedback on my my testing experience, and they would they would also film it too. So they'd have so people that weren't there at the time could still watch. Oh, oh, they um, did actually filmed play. it. That's cool. Oh yeah, they they recorded okay. all of it. Okay. There's a little bit of the footage they showed off in the uh, GA Conf 20, uh, 20 presentation that they did. Okay. Um. So a little bit of that footage is in there if you want to hear some. Uh, if you want to hear me talking to the, the devs and stuff for, for a few okay. minutes. Okay. Um, so that's there. Uh, and uh, then they'd go back to the drawing board and do it again. Uh, sometimes uh, with some things, they would actually do it live uh, while I was still there. Because I was okay. only there for a couple of days at a time. They would fly yeah. me into LA several times, but I was there for a couple of days at a time. So they would actually fix something and say, okay, we think we fixed it. Check it now. And so, okay. that's, you know, that's cool. we would do that. Um, okay. But ultimately, it would be brainstorm, test, talk about it, give feedback, yeah. okay. leave, let them work on the game a little bit more, let let yeah. them build it out. Because obviously, you know, yeah. they're still building the game. Yeah. This is the game itself in early production. It's not yeah. just accessibility they're building right. on. So right. let them build the game out a little more, come back, see what they've done, um, you know, brainstorm again, talk about the new features they've added, uh, test again, see what works, see what doesn't work, give them feedback mm -hmm. on that. And repeat, you know, mm -hmm. over and over. That's the process. Yeah. Um, okay. So let, let's talk about some of those careful decisions. Then you mentioned the invisibility while prone discussion, which I'm really yes. curious about. Uh, can you give us a bit of context on what that feature is for anybody who doesn't play of course, the game? Of course. So invisibility while prone is a feature where 
if so, the character the characters in the Last of Us Two are capable of going prone to crawl under things, to take cover in tall grass. There's a lot of reasons you might go, go prone. Um, so basically, going prone, of course, would mean to kind of go into a crawl position. Um, and it was decided that when you, when as a blind person, if you're playing the game, when you go prone, you're also invisible. Um, so enemies can no longer see you, and you can uh, more basically stealth through enemy areas uh, better if you wanted to do that, if you wanted to play that way. You have many options when it comes to Last of Us 2. You can play whatever way you want. You yeah. can go run and run and go crazy, but if you want to do the stealth thing, invisibility while prone is how you do that. Yeah. Okay, wait a second. So that's only blind people are invisible. Only only, only the players? player. Like I mean, player. anyone so, anyone anyone can turn it on. It's a it's it a is game a feature that setting, you can activate. You can turn yeah, you can turn on or off. Oh. Okay. Uh, um, so it, it makes it easier, sorry, Brandon, if you can correct me if I'm wrong on this one, but it makes it easier for blind people to move through an area stealthily, but it might also be, uh, a convenient way for someone to just kind of cruise through the game a little Cheat bit the game. more if they don't, right, if they right. don't want to, if they don't necessarily want to have to plan out a stealth route, oh. um, whether you're sighted oh, or I, not. I was, I was, I was going more extreme. So yeah. So I, I was the recipient of much feedback uh, when Last of Us 2 was launched. Yeah, I, I've been And uh, I, I am fully aware that there are videos online of sighted people turning on the invisibility uh, yeah. feature yeah. and literally using it to make fun of the game. Yeah, oh, uh, really? Because, because since, you, since, you know, I, I kind of understand it yeah. uh, from, from, from the perspective of someone who can see the things that are happening. Because, yes, if you turn on invisibility while prone, it probably looks pretty silly. Yeah. You know, you can literally yeah. crawl right up to someone and they will not detect you. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so I, I, I understand that. Uh-huh. But, um, but the reason I bring this up is to talk about the origins of that feature and why that feature exists and why I signed off on that feature. Yeah. Yeah. So um, tell us about that. So we were trying to figure out stealth. Mm-hmm. Um, stealth is challenging. Yeah. Uh, because stealth means that you want to get through an area either without being spotted right. or you want to stealthily kill your enemies so they literally can't spot you because they're all dead and they yeah. had never had any idea that you were even there. there in the first place, yeah. Right. So we wanted to provide all those gameplay experiences. And one of the things that, that I try to do is I try to provide an experience that is as close to the developer's vision as I can. Right. Because I want the game itself to be preserved. I'm not, right. I'm not actually trying to make an easy mode. Right. I'm just trying to provide the blind with a playable experience that mirrors the experience a developer wants the players to have as much right. as possible. Right. And part of the Last of Us 2's experience is to have the option of going stealth or going loud. Uh-huh. When we were developing this idea, there just wasn't enough bandwidth or time or resources to implement a system that would identify uh, actual visible cover spots. So like in, in Last of Us 2, there's a lot of places you can hide if you're sighted and you don't have this invisibility feature on. Yeah. You can hide under cars. You can hide in the tall grass. You can hide behind the wall of a building. Mm-hmm. You can, you, there's plenty of cover around the area because the game is meant to have, again, the stealth option. Yeah. But we just could not have, in, in the amount of time that we had, implemented a system that would identify every yeah. single one of those cover spots. Okay, gotcha. Because as it is... As it is, 
uh, I don't know if you know this, uh, Clement, but the waypoints that you used to get through the story of that game, yeah, those were not uh, added in by a program. Every waypoint was actually manually hand uh, crafted by a human person. So I, I did not we know were, that, but that's we were that's already crazy. doing a lot. <laughs> that's crazy. That's crazy when you think about how many waypoints there are in the game. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. We were already yeah, doing that, a, that lot a lot in that, that area. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So this was the concession. Right. Uh, allow the blind player to be invisible, to right. stealth through areas more easily, um, and the 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 trolls will never tell you this the haters will never t never tell you this people that don't like the future will never tell you this yeah but we do have another concession because right. one of the things that i brought up is when i first tried invisibility while prone even though i did believe in the feature and i i, I knew that we we needed it um the first thing that i brought up is yeah it does kind of feel a little easy playing this way because i could just stay invisible as long as i wanted to mm -hmm. yeah yeah which is why uh, we also have, and again, the haters will never tell you this, yep. you can choose to make invisibility limited. Right. Mm. What this does is it sets the invisibility on a timer. Yeah. And the timer is based on the stealth difficulty setting you have set. So you can actually set stealth difficulty separately from any other option. And it will use that, that difficulty setting to, to choose how long you will be invisible if you go prone. Right. The shortest time at the most difficult stealth setting is I believe five seconds only of invisibility. Right. So you'll be invisible for five seconds, and then everyone's going to spot you if you're in an, an open area. So, so this is this is really cool to me because I and this, you know what this is one thing I loved about The Last of Us Part Two is that all the accessibility features you could have them on or you could have them off. Yep. Uh, if you every didn't, single one. Yeah, and that, that was and that was super cool because you know there, there's a lot of accessibility stuff. Uh, not necessarily pertaining to games, but in a lot of other things where it's kind of there whether you want it to be or not. Yeah, and sometimes it's sometimes it's all bunched together like you know, accessibility mode. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, especially for tech, right? That that happens a lot where there's like, yo, yeah. you turn on accessibility settings, and it's like, okay, uh, well, I don't necessarily need this one, but I like the other five features that are there, but I can't do anything yeah. about mm -hmm. this because. So I I really liked the Last of Us Part Two, the fact that you could actually like you didn't have to go invisible if you didn't want to. Uh, yeah, you could actually you leave the feature to, off if you really. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. If you wanted to play it the way you know sighted people do, and if you wanted to take that risk of running into somebody or having someone spot you, remembering you, you, you have could. no idea where cover is, but still, you can yeah. try it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know what? Some people do enjoy that. I, you know, I, I tried that a couple times, and it was, it was fun. Uh, you know, it made it harder, but it was cool because, you know, you, you did get to experience it. It did make you have to actually think about things. Uh, but yeah. of course, like you said, the hardest thing is finding cover because you don't know where the cover is. The um, best you can do is you can at least hear the grass. Like if there's tall grass, yeah. you can hear when you're walking yeah. in it. Yeah, so and that's, that's, that's easy enough to find. But yeah, exactly. So I, but just going back to something for a second, the nav assist is really interesting because you said that all the waypoints were hand programmed. Every and, waypoint was hand coded. Hand -coded. Yep. That's cool. I did not know that. <laughs> yep. uh, do you have any idea how long that took? Uh, months. Months and months. I think. I think. I think it was being worked on up until uh, the game right went gold. Really, like I oh think. Oh my gosh. Like there, wow. there were areas in my last playtest. There were areas that were not done. Okay, so, so so for those who don't know, uh, why don't you talk about the Navasis feature? That's probably I'd say like the kind of the most obvious selling point. I sure. Think. Yeah. So the Navasis feature is a feature that is meant to allow the blind to successfully navigate through the story of the game. 
Um, basically, you press the L3 button, which is pressing in the left thumbstick a little bit, acts as a button. And what it does is it plays a sound and turns the camera towards your next objective. But what it does in the background is it casts out a little waypoint. And so the waypoint is intended to, basically you're going from waypoint to waypoint until you reach your ultimate objective is, is the way that it works. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a bunch of very small waypoints that lead you to one larger waypoint. So uh, every waypoint will lead maybe to the next wall or to the next turn that you have to make. And then uh, you, you reach that waypoint, you hear another sound that says you reached the waypoint, then you press L3 again, it'll turn the camera appropriately again and cast out the next waypoint. You move forward and then you repeat the process when you hear the, the second sound. And that's, so, that's a very basic description of how you get through the story. Yeah. But I mean, there's more to it than that, obviously. Like, it'll also take you through uh, puzzle areas. There is special scripting on Navisys that will help you complete the necessary puzzles that you must complete to, com to uh, continue the game. Uh, this could be seen as another concession. I understand that. Um, people might people could argue, and I, I would respect the argument, people could argue that, okay, well, since the game takes you to the puzzles, then they're not puzzles, right? I understand. I, I do get it. Um, but again, first attempt, and we didn't yeah. have enough time to change yeah. what a puzzle was. Yeah, sure. For, for, for the blind players, you know? Sure. So sure. because sure. some so of the puzzles involved picking the right things up, putting them in the right places, throwing them in through the right windows. Yeah. Um, we just kind of had it scripted. So again, I, I really like this idea that there are some concessions that have to be made. I, I, yes. I love this part of the process because I don't think a lot of blind people are aware of that. Um, I think a lot of blind people will just kind of get hung up on the things that they wish were there but weren't. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And so so I think this this idea of context and understanding that, yeah, we wanted it to be accessible, but at the same time, we wanted to preserve as much of the game as possible. Um, yeah. And so there are some concessions that actually make the gameplay experience better. Um, yep. As opposed That's the to goal. yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, my my personal, the, I think the one thing that I was I had the most questions about was the item system. Um, okay. Because I'm curious as to one thing that kind of bothered me a little was the uh, the fact that I couldn't pick which item to track. Yep. Yep. Um, so can you tell that's, us a bit. That's tell completely us a little fair. Bit more about, tell us a little <laughs> bit more because that that was that was the thing for me because I was like, oh well, I want to get those three things that are over there, but the game doesn't yep. let me because I keep getting caught on this one that's because it's closer. Um, yeah. So um, tell tell us I about think... the whole enhanced listen feature thing and like that particular yeah uh, thing with items and enemies. So enhanced listen mode is a mode that allows you to scan around you for nearby items and nearby enemies. So items are things you could collect, like ammo or weapons or uh, some collectibles as well, um, or you know parts that you could craft things with later, uh, a lot of different things. And enemies are any potential hostiles in the area, of course. Um, so using this, you could, for, for instance, scan uh, around you for an item and then go retrieve those items that you scanned for uh, using pathfinding. Um, by holding R1 and pressing L3. So normally you'd press L3 to go from objective to objective in the story, but if you're scanning for an item and you're pathfinding towards an item, you hold R1, which is the, the, right, the right bumper button on the controller, and press L3 at the same time, and you would pathfind towards the item instead, or the enemy that you did. Whatever, whichever one you would scan for last is what it would take you to. Um, so what Clement is talking about is the thing about this feature is it always, always takes you to the nearest item or enemy. It does not let you choose which one you want to pick up. 
and this is something that I am, of course, aware of. You know, uh, it's not it's not something that I didn't consider when I was working on the game. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, people that people that give me feedback, you know, do sometimes assume that this is my fault. Um, <laughs> Like that, I just just for the record, that's that's not my assumption. I I'm honestly no, curious I didn't, as I didn't to how this got it. Okay, good. sure, sure. So basically, what this amounts to is the item system does not use the same waypoint system that the Navisist uses. Believe it or not, right. it, it works right. kind of the same way, but actually isn't. Uh, okay. um, the difference is the item system uses actual pathfinding, whereas right. the waypoints from objective to objective have been marked up by hand carefully. Right. Item system uses actual pathfinding because the thing is, enemies can drop items too. Yes. Also, enemies can move. So yes. uh, there's there's no one place that some items will be. There's right. no one place some enemies will be. Right. So we, we use actual pathfinding there. And okay. honestly, I think what this really amounts to is this is the first version of that. Yeah. If if you want if you want the honest truth, I just think it's because this is the first version of that. Uh -huh. And the the way that the way that would make sense for them to implement it into this version was it takes you to the closest one. Okay. I think I really I don't mean to break it down like that so simply, but I really think that's all it is. Yeah, this, no, this I, happens to be the first version. Yeah, and, and of course, and with with the first attempt at anything, you know, there will be kinks and there will be things to work out, right? Of course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but I yeah. I was I was asking that more well one for my my personal curiosity and two because I know sure. a lot of people who play that are gonna have that question. Yeah, um, it does come to, up a lot. <laughs> yeah, and I, because like for me, I remember the hardest thing was like. Like there would be a workbench that I was standing next to, and an item somewhere else that I wanted to get to, and it would always bring me back to the workbench. And I was like, "Uh, dude, can we not?" <laughs> like, uh, although we that may have, just we be... do have some, we do have some code in there. So, so some things were actually changed in the patch that came out after release. Um, we now have the ability to do a couple different things. It's, it doesn't fix the problem, yeah. but it helps a little bit. Yeah. So now, if you if you scan a workbench. And you've interacted with the workbench already; it will be removed from the scan, so you won't go back to it unless okay. you really want to. Uh, yeah. Which, uh, if, if, but the thing, but again, if you want to, you kind of have to just find it based on the audio cue that says you're near something. Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of what that's kind so, of what I was going to ask is like, how do you go back to it then? Because that was the that was the well, I, I did play if, I did play that if you're close path. enough. If yeah. you're close, yeah, okay. So if you're close enough, yeah, you can you can still hear the the workbenches do have a, a very specific yes, audio yeah, cue yeah, when you're yeah, close yeah, to them. Do. Yes, yes. But you do have to be close to them. That's yes. fair. If somebody wants to get started and they've never played a video game before and they're blind, is there a game you would recommend? Well, uh, well, actually, I would honestly recommend some audio games first. No, ah, okay. Um, because audio games will introduce you to game concepts. Yes, um, that's true. Last was two is a very complex game for those who haven't played video games. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, I don't, I actually don't think it's a good starting point. That's true. Um, it is, it is very, very big. That's it true. is, it is very well tutorialized. There are, there are actually tutorial messages in the game written specifically for the blind, which is really awesome, by the way. I actually cool. campaigned for that. It's really cool. Yeah, that, that um, awesome. But, uh, but I would recommend starting with some audio games, maybe some of the really good ones that have recently come out. Uh, Blind Drive, uh, which is yes. over PC and yes, iOS, please. is probably one of the best audio games ever made. Oh my god! Uh, in my humble opinion, it's it's very arcadey and over the top, but it's it's also brilliantly done. And the plot and dialogue are fantastic. Hmm. Oh yeah, ridiculous but fantastic. Yes, absolutely. Oh <laughs> okay. my gosh, it's super well done. I'd recommend it yeah. to anyone. Um, also, I'd recommend The Veil, uh, Shadow of the Crown. Um, it's a good starting point for those who want to learn how to navigate based on audio cues and. Mm -hmm. uh, 
maybe uh, a little bit of combat. Although combat, I, yeah. I still think the combat's pretty easy uh, in the Veil. I would agree. But it is, it is. But it, you know, that's that's why I say it's a good starting point, though. So, yeah. I think okay. those two games right now would be my biggest recommendations as a starting point. And then yeah. you, you know, you kind of branch out from there. You find your um, your audio RPGs. Maybe would be the next thing. A Hero's Call, Manamon, Manamon Two. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of you keep moving up. You keep yeah. you know you reach you reach you know. And if you're if you're when you're when you feel like you're ready for the challenge of a AAA experience and what that <laughs> entails. Yeah. Um, then I then at that point I would say bring on the last of us too and okay. um, you know if you ever need any help I'll help I'll help you play it. <laughs> so if people wanted, I want people to play it. do you have information about that on your website? Sort of like how to get started and some tips for doing video playing video My, games when you're blind. Well, uh, kind of. Uh, so so okay. So so the focus of my website when I write things about games is reviews which will discuss how we can play a game if we can play it mm-hmm. um and general content about games like you know here's how i feel about narration I, I've, I've written a couple articles about vr and mm-hmm. uh, narration things like that so yeah. so general articles like that um and then if you if you go further to my youtube channel i have hundreds of hours of footage of me playing various games and when i play games uh that i upload to that channel i will also describe how i play them so that might help some people as well. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. I will admit that I don't really have like a basics guide, but if anyone anyone who reaches out to me, I've had many people reach out to me and ask me this exact question: How do I get started in video games? Mm. Yeah. Um, and I will I will do my best to answer that question. If anyone who reaches out, I don't, I don't care how many times it happens, awesome. I will always do my best to to answer the question. Mm-hmm. So. And how can they reach out to you? What's the best way? So many ways, um, but I, I actually can make it pretty easy though. I'm super blind man almost everywhere. I'm super blind man on YouTube. I'm super blind man on Twitter. I'm super blind man on Twitch, which where you can watch me live if you like to watch me play video games live. Um, basically everywhere. Um, okay. BrandonCole.net is the website. Uh, I don't, you know, you can email me superblindman01 at gmail.com. Send me an email. Um, all those things. I'm, I'm very open to conversation. I love talking about this stuff, and I would, I, I always enjoy bringing new gamers into the fold and introducing them to what they can do. Wow. Well, thank you. I'm, it's so cool that you found a job basically just doing what you love doing and what you're passionate about. I just think that's fantastic that it led to an actual paying job. How cool. And a really cool one, right? Multiple paying jobs. (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. Good for you. Thank you, Brandon, so much for joining us today. I've learned so much. I'm kind of excited. You know, my husband and my son are both gamers and uh mm-hmm. i kind of feel a little left out and looks like i don't have to be so that's really nope, cool not at all you've been listening to limitless the blind beginnings podcast if you have a question a comment a future topic request please send us an email to limitless at blindbeginnings.ca please like subscribe leave us a rating and join us next time this podcast has been brought to you by blind beginnings an organization based in vancouver canada that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted along with their families. Music for this podcast is composed by Sean Bishop and Clement Chow. Production and audio editing by Rob Minot. For more information about Blind Beginnings and the work it does to support children and youth who are blind and partially sighted along with their families, visit us on the web at www.blindbeginnings.ca and also remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We thank you for joining us and we look forward to seeing you next time.